Welcome to the Augusta Golf Show podcast. Now, here's John Patrick. Gary Williams is the host of one of the Five Club podcasts, and you can access the vault of podcasts on their brand new website, which is this, the number five clubsgolf.com. All right, the number five clubsgolf.com. Gary, also a host on the PGA Tour Network on Sirius XM Radio, contributes to the network's coverage of the major championships. It's always a pleasure to welcome Gary Williams back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, my friend? John, my good friend, uh, you're awfully kind to mention the website. A long time coming. Uh, we're, we're thrilled that we have that now as a place for people uh, to go, and whether it's you know, listening or watching something that recently was released or something that was released a year ago. So we're, we're excited about the next steps. Is a podcast better because you can see it? Well, you know, we, we thought from the outset, and there are, there's a lot, as you know, uh, there is a lot in the, in the golf space. We, we wanted to create something um, that was, distinguishable in the sense that it can look and appear like a television show. We have a YouTube channel, and, and it's edited like a television show. So, you know, a lot, the, the, the majority of the consumption of our shows is the audio version, but we like the fact that it's there, and it's pricey. I mean, it's not it's not cheap, as you know, to get into a television studio and, and you know, turn cameras on and then go through an editing process, but... That was, you know, that's what we wanted to be. So I, I, I like watching it. I like seeing the animation of people's faces. And if it's if it's available, I, you know, I'll give you a one quick example. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of the Smart List podcast with Will Arnett, Will Arnett Sean Hayes, and Jason Bacon. Mm-hmm. And there is not anybody walking the earth who has done significant things in their life who has not been on their show and it's just an audio version, and I'm dying lousy to see them reacting to each other. Um, and I know that they are because they're on Zoom calls, because they're, they're, they always talk about, oh, look at you, and, and show us your socks, or whatever. Uh, I wish that was available on that podcast, and we have it available on, our, on ours. So, either way. Um, uh, show us your socks. There, hold on, there's an in-depth question. Let me... <laughs> Uh, I I have on I have on what I have on every day, pants. That's my sock. That's my go-to. I have no socks. I hate socks. Nice look. I hate socks. I'll wear them when I play golf, and I'll wear them when I dress up, and I'll wear them with a black tie. But I'm not. I do. Um, let, let let me let me go back to Honda from last week for a second. Mm-hmm. Sandwiched. Sure. Sandwiched in between the designated event so the field was was kind of considered weak at the start of the event but boy there's no denying how compelling at the end it was with the stories of of Chris Kirk and Eric Cole to me it's another testament of the PGA Tour is in pretty good shape what what were your thoughts on the on the Honda on Sunday I was very happy for them I was happy for I was happy for, you know, Honda in their last year. I was happy for the people who put that tournament on. The, the, the person who's been the executive director for many, many years has been a, a dear friend of mine for, for far more than half of my life, Ken Kennerly. And they've been dealt a bad hand. 
and and they had two guys intersect on a Sunday afternoon on an unrelenting golf course, and one is somebody that nobody knows, and a fair number of people know who Chris Kirk is, maybe a little bit less know the turbulent journey that he has been on. I was obviously touched personally because I too am an alcoholic, and and you've been a dear friend, and I'm lucky that I have a lot of friends who who were there when I was trying to my, find my own footing again in life. I was living like hell for him, but I was not going to be disappointed if 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 Eric Cole won the golf tournament because that's somebody who somehow, some way, kept the pilot light on of the dream for 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 the years in which he has been, you know, beaten up fields in these one-day mini-tour events uh, around the state of Florida for the last five, six, seven years. He's 34. Um, that's professional golf. The G5s and, and the seven-figure sponsorship agreements, that's elite professional sports. Professional golf was Sunday afternoon. I got a feeling watching it, and and I and I was cheering for both of them. I I would have been a winner either way. Laura, Eric's mom, lived here for a few years, got to know Laura pretty well, so I was cheering either way. Um, I did get a feeling though in watching it. You mentioned Honda last year of sponsoring the tournament. Uh, some of the things that Jack said on the telecast, and by the way, if you don't want anybody to know anything, never tell Jack Nicholas. Um, God. Um, some of the things he said on the tournament gave me the sense that maybe the tournament next year, whoever the sponsor is, it might be a designated tournament next year. And maybe that's the way the tour might go about doling out these designations. Yeah, I, and I, I had a conversation with the aforementioned Ken Kennerly, and he made it clear to me that that they need to be, they, they had a couple companies who are, are potential sponsors on the property last week. And it's really important for them to get that sponsor in place as quickly as possible because, as you know, the, the schedule doesn't just get rolled out January 1 of next year. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's produced and, and put out there months in advance. They need to understand the appetite that that potential sponsor has for the commitment of a designated event. It doesn't mean that they're responsible for all $20 million. Uh, my understanding from people that I trust, nobody who has that designation uh, just suddenly had to go from 8, 5 to 20 um, in, in one year. It's being subsidized through the tour and, and, other, and other means. But I, I, here's what I do know. They will not immediately follow a designated event under any circumstance. There will be at least a one-week cushion. If, if, if it does mean that they get designated status, I my intuition tells me that will not happen in year one because I do expect that that, that double, which they loved, having the enormity of Phoenix and, and, and then you and then you back that up with the regal presentation of Riviera with Tiger, um, you can't wrap up a West Coast swing any better. They're not going to go then immediately to Honda as an additional designated event knowing that the Ono Palmer Invitational is the following week, and the players that they're not doing five in a row. I think they're going to have a week. What's going to be in between that week, I don't know. Uh, but I do think that, you know, I'd like to believe they're going to be in line for designated status within the next couple of years, like a lot of other events on the PGA Tour. I, I hope that at least a quartet of these events rotate. 
you got to elevate. You get, you get, I mean, you can't just make this series what it is and expect these other sponsors to just continue to commit themselves in perpetuity to your product. That, that can't be the case. But, but, but it wouldn't, I, I guess I'm thinking, you know, Phoenix can stand on its own. Phoenix. I totally agree. And and I I wouldn't be surprised if Phoenix lost the designation, and and I and I hear what you're saying, but I just thought it might be a nice way to you know to welcome a new sponsor to the neighborhood to and I I know it's a financial it's a financial hurdle, but to 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 make that new sponsor an elevated an elevated event. I it, the golf course the golf course certainly warrants it. No, I'm I'm, I'm with you on that, but and I I hear what you're saying about. Welcoming them. Let's say you're a sponsor that's been around five or six years. And you go, wait a second. I've already made X millions of a commitment to the product, and here I am. And and whether you know hypothetically 3M or Rocket Mortgage is going really, you know. And and by the way, look at the month of of July um, domestically. I know what they're doing with the Scottish Open and you have the Open Championship. Look at the events and and. Stay tuned for the fields for that month in the United States because none of the top players are going to play in the United States post-travelers and pre-essentially FedEx Cup playoffs. That's a long stretch. That's the heart of the summer. And and, and I think that they got to fortify some things going forward and that there, there's got to be something in the United States between the week after Father's Day and and the and essentially the second to third week in August. We learned earlier this week. Speaking of these, speaking of these designated events, some 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 new rules may go into place in 2024, according to our our friend Eamon Lynch and, and reporting at Golf Week that um, there'll be smaller fields. There will not be cuts. How do you feel about that? I don't like it at all, um, and and I don't I don't need to see more evidence of. Whether it's whether it's it's Nick Taylor um, in Phoenix, and you can say, well, you know, look at his world ranking. Okay, fair enough. The, the, my point is is that the essence of the, the very best in sports is that we always leave the door ajar for the underdog. I mean, are you telling me that that if if we go through the history of sports and and you go through every sport that that yes, when heavyweights get in the ring together. It's monumental. But Bob May was right out of central casting. And, and you know, the U.S. Olympic hockey team in 1980, the underdog has to be in the game because when that materializes, it's memorable. We, and, and the other part of it, John, that I do not like at all is that I was never a fan of the World Golf Championship Series as far as its format. I, I like the premise of, of you know, having – the best players in the world congregate together more often, but not under the, the premise that it was going to be really short fields and no cuts. The best players should be playing under championship condition. At 72 holes, it's a cut, and it's at least invitational size in terms of, of its field. And, and anybody who pushes back, well, the Masters, the Masters is the Masters. Um, and the enormity of the event and the gravity and the weight of the accomplishment doesn't require 156. It requires that canvas, that golf course, in the first full week in April. It's not even the same animal we're dealing with. I don't like it. And it's also something, John, that I know I don't, 
you know, I, I have misgivings about things associated with live, and one of the primary things is 54 holes and a shotgun and no cut. I'm sorry, where's the jeopardy? Where's, you know, where where is the friction? Where's this sense of, of you know, I got something to lose and, and there is something on the line? Nothing on the line if you let me play every day. I, I just, I, I'm not a fan, and I think it's um, it's selling short players who need to be in that arena to, to, to show themselves. And I know the eventuality that talent can't be hidden. I don't like it at all. Let me uh, let me go back to your your project, what you're doing right now, Five Clubs Podcast. Uh, you guys yeah. made an announcement this week. First of all, the website is brand new, as we mentioned, and and you've added Johnson Wagner, former PGA Tour player Johnson Wagner. What what does Johnson bring to the table? A uh, really curious mind. I've I've had the good fortune of being around him periodically, you know, over the last you know seven eight years. My chief researcher. At Golf Channel is a gentleman, Kevin Ryan, who's from the Westchester County area, played high school golf against Johnson Wagner, and, and they've been friends. And as Johnson was making his, his progress professionally uh, to the PGA Tour, you know, I, I, you know, when he won in Houston, you know, you take your curiosity to whoever that person may be. Um, so I made a point of, you know, striking up conversation with him. I'm like, wow, this guy's, this guy's interesting. And so what we're, what we're getting with him is somebody who has a really, a really keen interest in understanding of the process of elite professional golf and, and does a really cerebral presentation of talking about it. And he also has uh, a great design bent. He loves golf course architecture. He's already exhibited that a couple of times doing work for Golf Channel on, on as a studio analyst, he's working this this week. He's, you'll see him this weekend at Puerto Rico on course, which is one of his ambitions. So long before Golf Channel and PJ Tour Live, you know, gave him some work, I was very interested in, in him being a contributor because the other thing he gives us is the viewpoint of an elite professional golfer, which we, we, we do not have uh, among the current construct of this roster, even though Bill is, you know, comports himself on a golf course like a professional until he strikes a shot. Doesn't talk to anybody else, acts as if it's the most important round in the world, doesn't care for anybody else. Um, but yeah, we now we now have the viewpoint of of the professional who's won three times. So we're we're thrilled to have him. You beat me at at mentioning Billis's name with all of that. <laughs> um, what's 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 the quality? What what what's the quality of a good interviewer? Uh, have to be uh, essential when you possess it because you're unselfish. Unselfish people listen, and and you have to be a good listener. I may have I may have a blueprint of things that I would like to touch upon with people that I you know get to have conversations with, but I never if I stick to that. Um, then I've not been listening to what somebody has been sharing with me. So I, that is the most fundamental thing. And, and also, uh, tone is really, really important. There are a lot of people who I, I think could be good interviewers, but there is, there's something, I don't want to use the word confrontational, uh, but there's something about, like, I'm going to get you here. I'm not trying to get anybody, neither are you. Uh, what you're trying to do is, is probe somebody's mind, 
and and you never know where it's going to lead. And the most the most critical thing, and this is dovetailing off listening really well, um, is you have to be nimble. You have to understand that you don't think about the interview, the interview being some rigid exercise. It's anything but that. It's fluid. And if you have a nimble mind, based on what you're hearing, you may have 25 minutes or an hour that had very little to do with what you thought you were going to talk about. And that also has something to do with preparation. Got to be prepared. You got you got to get the person in a place where they're going, well, this, this person took the time, even if it's somebody that the public knows a lot about, find out something that most everybody doesn't know anything about. You want to talk about getting somebody to decompress and ease up, hit them with something they're like, I never thought in the world they would have known that. And and there is there is this, this animation of people's faces when you do that um, that is it's very pleasing. I mean, I and and you know, I want people to have a good time. Like, so do you. And that's why you're a good interviewer. Um, so yeah, fundamentally, good listening, nimble mind, preparation, and don't be rigid. What are the qualities of a good guest? Uh, engagement fundamental if in the absence of that you're dead um and i've i've i'll never forget and it wound up being a really delightful experience but uh this was about 15 16 years ago bill russell was coming into to my studio uh to talk about a book that he had written and he walked into the studio and this was long before golf channel i was doing local radio <laughs> and he had a Pine Valley shirt on, and I coincidentally did too that day. And I looked at him, and I pointed at my shirt, and I went, and, he, and there was nothing. And I went, oh, my. And he sat down, and we had about four minutes before we were coming back on, and he did not want to be there. And I don't remember specifically what I asked him, but it was, it was a couple things about, about being at the University of San Francisco that he leaned forward and and he went from total disengagement to engagement, and everything changed. And and if if you have somebody who is not there to simply check a box, whether it's because they're a sponsor that's involved, um, or or whatever it may be, it, if you don't have that, you have nothing. And then the other part of it that I think is is really important is, you know what? And am I willing to to expand? Am I willing to be candid? Am I am I willing, without hesitation, to be transparent? You're not. I'm not. I'd like to believe I'm not. I'm not looking to expose any vulnerabilities. I'm looking to provide something to listeners and viewers that maybe they hadn't heard before. Um, and and the only way you're going to get that is you got to have a willing participant and. That means let the guard down. No one's, no one, it's not going to cost you anything. You know what I mean? And, and too many athletes today are programmed a lot by their, their representatives who, who don't ever want them to do anything that doesn't pay them anything. And, and they, they, they always set them up. All these agents are like firewalls. They all say no to everything. And they never want them to say anything because at what cost is this going to be? And if you've noticed, 
Europeans don't have that. They're not wired that way. They're not they're not conditioned to feel like, you know, and they find it comical how guarded American athletes are. Um, and a lot of it has to do with our culture. Uh, that's a long way of saying, you know, engagement and, and transparency are are the cornerstones of the, of the good guests. I, I could not agree with you more. You, you remind me of a time a few years ago, man, probably five, six years ago now, Gary. I had gone through a period on this program of having player after player after player on the program, and it's and you get what you get from them. And then all of a sudden, speaking of the Honda, this might have been 2015 or 16, Padraig wins there, and he comes on mm. the show, and it was such a bright light compared to, to who I'd been talking to for the last month or so. He's amazing. He is. He's absolutely one of my favorites. I I was at a, a private function, Rich Learner, for many many years. For twenty years, he and his wife Robin put on uh, an event uh, called the December Classic at the end of the calendar year. It, it coincided with Golf Channel kind of shutting down for a couple weeks, and he had he had you know some some very good tour players who supported the event, local pros, a lot of media people. So Padraig Harrington was was there one of the last years, might have been the last year. And on Sunday night, the Sunday night before we played on Monday, he spoke to about 75 people. And I'm looking around and he is talking about the things he was talking about. I'm going, God, please tell me you're all listening to what he's saying. This is platinum stuff. This is amazing. And he was talking about his own process. He was talking about what 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 is what is his definition of magic. In a golfer, like, how does it manifest itself? And he was talking about, you know, if he was going to cultivate talent. I'm telling you, John, it was incredible. He is gold. Really is. He really is. I want to get to the players. Uh, but before we do that, uh, they're playing the Arnold Palmer this weekend. You had a lot of interactions with Arnold. As you look back on those interactions now, what do you think about most often when you think of Arnold? Um, just you asking me that just suddenly got me emotional. I, I think about um, I think about his compassion. I think about his his empathy. I think about his humanity. And he was the most comfortable um, person being who he was. He loved being who he was without it making him who he was. Um, he was you know humility is is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And, and that's what he was. Every person who had a moment with him, he made it the moment. Um, he looked at people, looked him in the eye, and didn't look him. He looked him in the eye to make him feel their worth. He didn't look them up and down to to, to size up their value. Um, that is a very rare quality uh, for somebody who is in in a, an incredible place as far as the pantheon of. Of, of a public existence. Um, and also, he was, God, what a, what a guy to hang around with. I mean, he was, um, he was magnetic. Um, he, was, he was funny as hell. Um, he was feisty and competitive. Uh, I, I shared a story that we're going to put out um, tomorrow on, on Five Clubs. Just a little quick little vignette, and I'll share it with you now. Um, actually, we, we put it out two days ago, but not even keeping up here. Uh, so you could go, you could see it if you go to the, the website. Anyway, I was, I was 
up at the Greenbrier in the fall of 2015 for what was going to be a collaboration, Nicholas Palmer Trevino player called Oakhurst. Never happened, but they were there for the ribbon cutting, groundbreaking, and Jack Nicholas was kind enough to say to me, do you want to ride home, uh, not in a wood panel station wagon, um, <laughs> on Air Bear? And I'm thinking of my, my flight plan was probably, oh, I don't know, uh, Lewisburg to Roanoke, Roanoke to Atlanta, Atlanta to Orlando, uh, <laughs> something like that. So, so I get on the plane, on his plane, on his plane was being serviced. They were going to stop in Atlanta and get off and spend the weekend with their son, Michael, Barbara, and Jack. So I get on Air Bear, and I'm looking across, and there's Jack and Arnold facing each other on the plane, like Churchill and FDR. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, this is it. This is it for you. The, the interview you just did with those four in this. And so when they land in Atlanta, Jack pulls Arnold in, gives him a kiss on the cheek. Um, and by the way, he was gone less than a year later and said something in his ear, and they get off the plane. The pilot was standing just outside of the cockpit before going back in the cockpit, to fly us to Orlando. And Arnold said to him, what's the flight time to Orlando? And he said, 43 minutes. And Arnold turned to me and he said, my plane would do it in 39. <laughs> and he wasn't joking. That When I shared that story years later with Jack, it tickled him beyond words. He loved it. That's, that was him. That was him. It's a great story. That is a great story. But I, I, we got to get to the players before I let you go. Um, it seems to me, regarding the players, once we stopped having the conversation about whether or not it's the fifth major, it seemed to elevate in status kind of organically. Um, where does the players fall for you in importance? It's a massive achievement. It's an enormous event. Um, yeah, it's it's the it's the fifth most significant global men's championship in the world. It's not a major. It's not going to be a major, and that's fine. And I actually think it. it I wrote about this, and it's up at our website. Um, that it, it actually it's, it's going to be up there Monday. Again, I'm losing days. It'll be up there Monday talking about this. I asked this question of Jay Monahan in a meeting with Golf Channel and the tour in 2019. In the fall of 2019, and this was after Rory had won the event, I said, do you like being called the fifth major? And he kind of looked at me, looked at his team, and he said, I can't really control that, but do you have a point? I said, yeah. He said, who wants to be the fifth best at anything? You're either a major or you're not. And anybody, and all these people suggesting you're the fifth major, why do you want that entry point? I understand that some people would rather win this, that, or the other. But at the end of the day, we don't look at Jack's record and go, well, you know, the six PGAs. They all count the same. And and the, the advancement of the players as a major, it can't happen now. There, there's, you know, in 1950 or 54, when Satan Hogan had the playoff at Augusta, you know, you, you were leaning on a couple of voices that you would read in the newspaper the next day. Everybody's got a voice now. And the advancement of the players as a major would be so counterintuitive and counterproductive to what they've already built. It would be lampooned. It would be defeated. There, there, there are countless outlets that have a voice in the game now. Uh, it, it would be swimming in, a, in a, a media riptide to try to advance that, whether it be internally or, or whether it be by the players themselves. It's bold type. It's 
massive. It's provocative. It's the players. That's what it is. Did you like the move back to March? Loved it. Loved it. John, I love it for the fans. Um, much, much more uh, enjoyable temperatures. I know last year was weird. Last year was weird everywhere. The best weather was at the Open Championship. <laughs> it was bizarre. I mean, I was freezing Augusta. I was wearing four layers in Tulsa in May. Um, you know, but Boston got what Boston gets. Um, but I know I, I love March. I love the agronomics. I love the presentation of the golf course. I also love the way it lines up as a championship season. It goes there. Look, the tour has great momentum right now. It's going to go there next week. Whoever wins this weekend at Bay Hill, um, and, it, and, it, and it's enough of a cushion outside of the specter of, of the greatest tournament in the world, which is, you know, a month later. I love March for the players. Do you like the golf course? Um, I, I love it for them. I love it. I, I don't I don't particularly love to play it um, because it's it's really uncomfortable. But I love it for them. And I the most important thing I love about it for a place you go to annually doesn't discriminate against anybody, and it doesn't particularly reward any style. Look at the records of of the players since it went there starting in 1982. Sergio has a wonderful record there that's now over. Um, having won it one time in, you know, in, in 2008, um, I'm pretty sure I got that year right. Um, and, and the fact is, you know, he has a handful of top tens. Guys have won it and missed two cuts immediately after that. It keeps you just from feeling a sense of, hey, I got this, to the, you know, 20 minutes later, dying lousy. I love that about the golf course, that from, you know, great length to the tactician, um, it rewards and punishes equally. That is a testament to die, and that's why it's perfect that it's held there annually. And it does have, you know, it has, you know, three holes that finish it uh, that are wildly turbulent, uh, exceedingly uncomfortable, um, and a great spectacle. That's a great TV show. Hey, what are your thoughts about Cameron Smith? Not, not going to be there to defend. Um, disappointed. I, I understand. Look, they're running a business. He left the company. And they say, no, he's an independent contractor. That's semantics. Um, they sign a contract every year to abide by a certain thing. And, and, and just like, by the way, live players, that's why this kid arbitrarily said, yeah, I'm going to take that event off at Orange County National. I'm going to play the tour event. No, you're not. No, you're not. Um, so I, I'm disappointed. I like him. He's a fabulous player. Um, sorry that he's not going to be there, um, but but he made he made a conscious choice, one that I know that he deliberated on, um, and and you know like a lot of things, um, you know we, we move on. But I I'm not going to act as if we're going to expunge what he did. It's your history. Embrace it and and explain it. Explain it. The best way for people to become fans of things or to explain, you know, where you were and where you are now. It's kind of like the game of golf. Don't run from your history because you act like you're running from something. No, embrace the, the things that needed to change and have. Um, and with respect to the players, don't act like it didn't happen. And I hope that, that they, you know, and they, have, they may have to swallow hard, John, 
But you know what? Run a vignette or something, a sizzle reel on NBC on the weekend. It's okay. It's okay. He is Gary Williams. He is the host of one of the Five Clubs podcasts. Um, also works with Sirius XM Radio on their PGA Tour network coverage of the majors. Gary, you stayed for longer than I asked you to. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you for this. Thank you so much, and I hope I see you in a couple of weeks. You're going to see me in a couple of weeks. I, I'm headed this evening to Italy to see our youngest daughter who is studying there this semester. I have not eaten a bowl of pasta in five months. <laughs> I'm going to eat 100 bowls in the next five days. Have a great trip. Thank you, Gary. (laughs) Thank you, buddy.